Hey, podcast listeners, here is part two of the bonus section, which is a conversation with Dominic about the Maasai people and their place in Kenya today, as well as Dominic's fascinating life story. Well, I don't really know if this constitutes urban wildlife, um, but I was just very interested in watching the way the Maasai have adopted their the grazing and the, the grazing um, migration patterns as Kenya has become more industrialized and developed. And I would love for Don to talk, because he shared with us a little bit about that. Um, it, because we see now the Maasai raising their, their sheep and their cattle right along the highway. Um, I, I don't know, I just- Yeah, that's, that's yeah. I love that. Yeah, so yeah. let's talk about that. The, how, so yeah, the Maasai are nomadic people, but now lots, large areas being fenced in. So how, how are you, you know, the Maasai adapting? Yeah, well, uh, you know, the, 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 the country where the Maasai lives now is uh, an arid country, which I experience a lot of droughts almost every year. Uh, and uh, the main uh, main livelihood is uh, migra- uh, kind of nomadic life, living from one place to another. But, uh, you know, other tribes actually, uh, you know, they buy land and settle. So they, they have really blocked the Maasai corridors uh, migratory corridors. This is why you see the Maasai driving uh, the animals along the roads, because there is nowhere else they could go. If they try to pass through anyone's land, then it's a big crime. They start uh, some quarrels. Right, it's trespassing. Yes, uh, so the Maasai is now, uh, except in, Ma- in the larger Maasai Mara area, where the land is still almost empty, yeah. uh, there they can still practice the uh, migration and uh, uh, the nomadic life, but not near Nairobi. Nairobi is all taken by uh, big building estates, so they only left with the roads and the airport. The airport also, you know, the, sometimes you, 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 the plane may try to land and uh, you find thousands of cows walking on the on the runway. Oh, wow. really? <laughs> oh, anyway, you know, we believe Nairobi still belongs to us. Yeah. 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 What about the north where you're from? Is there still uh, they, they are, it's like no one wants to live there. It's just us. Mm. So the land is totally, you can travel miles without seeing a, a single village. Oh. So, because but, uh, yeah, but that one still don't guarantee uh, the, the, the pasture supply. Uh. Because we still travel to Mount Kenya region, which is central part of Kenya and other areas. You know, the moment it, it gets dry, it's dry. Yeah, and it's yeah. the whole country gets I mean, the whole area gets dry, so still we have to to move, but our corridors are not yet blocked. Okay. Yeah, and our um, the big migration um, now there's more development. The migration from Tanzania to the Masa, um to the Masai Mara uh, are they using roads too at all because of the uh, um, because of the fencing in the grazing areas, the wildlife? Uh, well. The migration, the Serengeti Mara, Mara migration is is totally uh, away from any fencing. Okay. What we saw uh, going the Maasai Mara, the, the, there is that plane called Loiter Plain, uh, where the the local residents use uh, wildebeest and zebras used to come to breed and graze. That is now the main area that is fenced, and we saw like 20 wildebeest just oh, yeah. running out there. So y- yes, it used to be like. Uh, thousands of them coming all uh, all over that plain and breed there, graze, 
and then when the, 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 the migrants from Tanzania comes in, they also move into the park and uh, mingle with the others. Uh, but the good thing is now, the, all around the Maasai Mara is, um, is the conservancies. So the, Mas the Mara National Reserve is surrounded by the conservancies. So it's another alternative now that uh, uh, these migrants are accommodated there. Yeah, so I, I don't think it is a big deal anyway because they got uh, an option. Yeah. yeah. Has there been any movement um, at the federal level with the Kenyan government, or has there been any any movement to try to preserve the historic Maasai um, nomadic corridors? I could see something like that happening in the U.S. The United States would say, this is a cultural heritage, this should be preserved, there should be land set aside. But Kenya looks like it's still developing so much, maybe no one's focusing on that? I don't know. Uh, basically, no one, uh, and I don't think there will be anyone to, uh, to focus on that. Okay. Because Kenya is more like uh, everyone owns a land. Yeah. So I don't think you can can uh, move in and tell somebody oh this in this your land I want you to to, to move and allow the Maasai to graze or to walk along here yeah you know the same same Maasai who, who are uh, migrating or who are yeah who are migrating they still have their own land oh. it's just that they have a lot of cows that they oh. uh, the, the land cannot uh, you know accommodate I understand, I understand. so if it is uh, the Maasai themselves they can actually just like easily work it out because we all have cows. Your cows can pass my land, my, mine can pass your land. Okay. But if you find people like, uh, um, for example, the, the Kikui people, they are farmers. So if you, if I walk my thousand cows through your farm, I don't think you'll ever be happy. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I don't think that, that will ever work. Okay. Yeah. We Yeah, let's, uh, I guess we can wrap this up. But uh, if, now I've had the, I, I want to, I'm going to speak for us both, but I think I can, Angie. Sure, sure, yes. We've had a, a wonderful time with you. Yay. You've been a phenomenal guide. You you know everything. Uh, you have unbelievable eyes. You know how to identify everything we've seen. Why don't you tell your listeners some of the things that Dom has helped us find? Yeah. Um, I mean, he spotted a rhino like a boss out of nowhere. And a baby. Yeah, we had a baby, white rhino. Um, Yes. That's very rare. Found some leopards. Why two le two leopards. leopards. Yeah. Um, plus, um, you know, I had to see a martial eagle, which is a bird that I have always dreamed of seeing. And you know, since I was a little a little kid, and you know, we spot. I mean, we actually saw one later on a boat trip. We saw the African harrier hawk, which is an un unbelievably unusual bird. Uh, we got to see a varroa eagle. Did you say varroa or verox? Uh, we call it Ferox. Ferox. Uh, it's an eagle that specializes in eating rock hyraxes. Well, you, uh, however you want to pronounce it. <laughs> well, actually, Andy knows we French. We have problems. <laughs> B-E-R-R-A-U-X. Would that yes. be Vero or Verox, Angie? B-E-R-R-A-U-X. Oh. So we're discussing the pronunciation. Verho? Verho. But you just say whatever. Okay. French or... Yeah. It should be a friendly word. So, Verho? So, is not a... Usually not pronounced. It's silent. Yeah. yeah uh, I like Verax. If I'm not going to pronounce it Verho, Verho, <laughs> Ver, Ver, 
Okay, we're going to call it Black Eagle. <laughs> yeah. And it specializes in eating rock hyraxes, which I, I, I love. Now, if uh, people want to uh, visit Kenya and do uh, and, and see wildlife with you, um, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, personally or through a company or through you, you directly? Uh, well, for now, I, I can say I'm working uh, with a company, but I also have my future plans. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I've been to this field for 20 years now, uh, almost 21. So, uh, I wish one day I will do, I'll be doing my own things out there. Now, and I plan, we plan to do something with you in the future. So, our listeners, you know, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Angie and I uh, are branching out. We're doing our our own tour company called On the Wing Tours. And this is a scouting trip. Our first tour will be to the Galapagos in uh, September. So, um, and Ecuador. Yeah, and mainland Ecuador. Now, and, and so now that we met um, Dominic, we're going to come back here and do something with him. Um, Actually, if, if you, if, um, in the next few months to come, uh, maybe you'll get a link of Echoes of Nature. Echoes of Nature. Echoes of Nature. Yes. Now, I just think our listeners would think this is really cool. Um, what were you doing before you were a guide? Uh, uh, being a Maasai or a Samburu uh, born, actually we started um, uh, with uh, animal herding. So before I joined school, although it, it used to be a funny way of going to school, I started school very, very late when I was at about 14 years old. Because no one, uh, you know, I was a very good arts boy. So everyone wanted always me to be there. And uh, I actually forced myself to go to school because um, my parents wanted me to keep, uh, you know, to keep on adding the animals uh, and all that. So it's actually a norm in you know, my tribe that young boys started adding animals from uh, uh, the, 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 the goats, kids, you go uh, calves, and then you end up adding uh, cows and goats and sheep. So when I was at 14, this is when I realized that anyway, I'm seeing a lot of boys going to school, why not me? So I sneaked from our village and go to school. And uh, anyway, it was funny because I didn't have any, any shot or a, or a shot. I had just a, a piece of cloth. Because, you know, I'm a traditional boy. So I think all the kids were laughing at me when they saw me coming with a piece of cloth. Aww. Yeah, almost half, uh, half of my body covered, half not covered. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so the teacher himself uh, found uh, the interest of uh, my interest of going to school, and uh, he really advised me to just go and uh, find a shirt and um, a t-shirt. But he bought me some, oh. so the next day I was coming to school uh, well, well dressed. Wonderful. Yeah. So from there I started. Um, uh, I went uh, further to second year uh, in high school. Uh, this is when I, I dropped out of school because of uh, lack of fund, but. Uh, you know, I never let it go because I had passion with nature. So I took up uh, the bird book from my brother and I started my bird watching. And this is what landed me to be a guide. Then finally, I met uh, uh, one of the retired missionary doctors called Dr. Geoffrey Ivan. So Christopher Ivan. So he really took many of us into the field, uh, introducing us to conservation. Uh, bird watching, how to identify all these things around us, and uh, he was really blessed. And, uh, anyway, he, so he 
secured jobs so for some of us. Some of us struggle to be to find a job because you know it's hard to find a job for 19 people. So some of us tried our own ways, and that's how we survive. And so, how old were you when you were a warrior? Uh, was that well, before or after school or? Well, uh, you know, I was circumcised or I became a warrior um, at at the age of 17. So, and uh, I wasn't I, I was not a uh, the top, uh, the uh, the top group of uh, our age set, but in the middle of the age set. Okay. So, our first group became warriors in the early 1990s. So uh, we we came uh, in uh, 93. That's when uh, we became warriors. To the year 2004. This is when the, we graduated to be um, junior elders, and now I'm a senior elder, as you can see me. <laughs> so I'm the I'm not there to use any weapon now. I'm not allowed, but in case I'm supposed to, I can. Yeah. But ours is to advise and uh, show the better ways of life, make good decision, discuss good things about families and uh, uh, the community in large. Yeah, that's our role. Yeah. And you had to stay a warrior longer because your your tribe was had a conflict with Somali tribes. Is that true? No, no. no. What happened actually? You know, our 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 some uh, our Samburu uh, tribe. Uh, although still Maasai, we both have different ways of setting groups, edge sets. Uh, the Samburu, we only do once uh, once in a, in a group. And ours, it took 14 years because at that particular time, um, you know, we live with the other tribes like the Somali, Borans, Turkana, uh, Pokot. So, and the, the year, many years they have been terrorizing us with guns, as we try to use spears and, and, and uh, arrows. Uh, so the moment we learned, we, we came to learn that we can really get guns from them. We, pr we brought them close to us, we gave them cows and camels, and then they gave us guns. So the moment we learned to use the guns, that's when now things changed to, uh, on their side. Yeah? Yeah. So this is what took us long to graduate because we were the strongest warriors. We we were the one, the first to learn how to use guns. So it took us long, yeah. And also the elders disagreed, uh, disagreement of when and who to start the the new headset. You know, we have clans, so every clan wanted to start the uh, uh, to start it. So it took the it took it long, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think our listeners um, are just going to be their minds going to be blown to think about you going from, you know. A young boy herding cattle to a Maasai warrior to a wildlife guide, and but so you were bird watching before you were a warrior. Uh, uh, Tony, every Maasai, every Samburu can be a can be a guide mm. because for us studying these things is very easy. We know it by uh, you know in our tribe we know all the names, but. The only thing is now to, to learn the English names so and probably the behaviors. So that's why the schooling was important. Yes. I see. So to me, I know what's a mouse bird, so I can just go through the book looking for the mouse bird, and then I know the you know the, 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 because we call it casero. So I just look for casero, and then oh, it's called mouse bird. That is it. <laughs> then yeah. what's interesting about the the the, 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 uh, the mouse bird? That's how easy it was. And we. 
we went through it. Do you, you speak what four or five languages? Uh, I speak uh, a bit of Kikuyu, Turkana, Samburu, uh, or Ma, Ma generally, because Ma, we are all speaking one language called Ma, uh, English and Swahili. Probably five languages. Yeah, well done. And uh, even other languages, I can say a few words, but that I, I'm not counting that. You know, the five I'm talking about is the, the one I can really converse a little bit. Yeah. But uh, not to, no, uh, before I forget, you know, my when I was a warrior, when we are warriors, we always have names, the warriors' names. And my name was Sangalai. Even my email is sangalai.dom at gmail, yeah? So, uh, my name means a solitary warrior. Because I, you know, when I became um, a bird watch, I used to, so, to go alone. So I spent much time alone. That's why everyone called me Sangalai. <laughs> just like a lone, lone elephant. Yeah, yeah that's how we call it Sangalai. The reason why I was asked about like bird watching and, and being a warrior was, um, you know, there's a book, uh, Birding Baghdad, about a, uh, or Birding Babylon, a, a soldier who uh, was in the arm, U.S. military during the second Gulf War and, and watched birds. And um, I think we reached out to him on that. I don't remember. Uh, we tried to f um, find more soldiers who were bird watchers or, or, or you know we figured how interesting that would be to be in combat but still have an interest in wildlife and i think we finally found that person you know we finally found someone who had loved observing wildlife and was you know a warrior uh, a soldier you know yourself i think that's amazing it is amazing yeah you know one thing uh when we were boys we are i think the one who used to kill a lot of animals just that way we don't eat them but you know, we make arrows and uh, they, we start shooting birds. I remember killing a yellow, a yellow wagtail. I was very young. I was just like sneaking between the cows and the wagtail was walking in front of the cows. I shoot it. So I still remember it. I, I remember my first uh, slingshot. I killed a purple grenadier. Oh, wow. So I, I do remember all these things uh, that I did when I was young. But the moment I came to realize the important and got the interest in these things, Actually, I don't want even see uh, anyone cutting anything that can cause harm to animals. I don't like. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I mean this has been an amazing um, interview. Uh, anything else you want to tell our listeners before we uh, wrap it up? Uh, well, myself is uh, uh, it's nothing much, but uh, I know you have a lot of those listening us, and uh, probably some have never thought of coming to Africa and uh, maybe some have been dreaming uh, they have uh, what we call the bu bucket list bucket list yeah yes. they have this in the bucket list it's actually you know, the only way to kick that bucket list is to travel to Africa <laughs> you'll definitely love it and uh, you'll make it home and you'll always wanting to come back yes just to visit come and see this it is part of the Africa that's well blessed with animals cultures and uh, everything you want, you'll get it here. Yep, absolutely. We've, we agree. We agree. We originally with our honeymoon, we were thinking of going to South Africa, um, and then we did. We saw this opportunity, you know, with Gate One to come here. I'm glad we did because we met you. And now we we still want to go to South Africa, but now we want to come back to Kenya and see more <laughs> of Kenya. It's it's one of those countries where like you're. 
you know, it's like, it's not like, oh, I've been to Africa now. I yeah. can go somewhere else in Africa. You're like, I want to see so much more of Kenya. Yeah. You say, like, before you go anywhere, you always don't know how it is. But the moment you travel and see, that's when you always now want to go because you know what it is. But uh, you see, South Africa is also one of the great countries in Africa. Yeah. Uh, and it's more civilized, more developed than us. And, uh, but still, they can't beat us in terms of wildlife. The animals congregation here is phenomenal. You can't believe it. And if you come during the world, wildlife, uh, world dismigration, you will really love it. It's something that's why uh, you, you you will stop watching things on the, on your screen. Yeah. Yeah. You just come and see something real in the natural world, and you will stop watching on the TV. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. I know now. It's funny. Uh, what does uh, caribou mean? Caribou, caribou. That's K A R I B U. That means welcome. Now, do you know about the animals, caribou? Caribou. Yeah, I've, I've seen on the TV. I've never seen it. Yeah, it's spelled differently, but it, it pronounced the same. Now, you you know that that is another great migration. Oh, is it? Yeah, the millions of caribou move from. Um, the tundra into the boreal forest every every wow. every winter and then and and that's a, a huge migration that's nice so maybe someday we'll come see the wildebeest migration yeah. and then we can take you can <laughs> come up with the caribou migration <laughs> yeah you know in, uh well in east africa or in africa we do have several migrations because uh, we also have uh, the butterfly migrations but there's something not not many concentrates on but uh like the, it's almost about to start now because the rain is coming. So it tells us when the rain is about to, to start. If it is uh, from the highlands, you see them come down. That's uh, when the rain is almost there. And then when you see them go highlands, that means it is dry, it's getting dry. So they are trying to get to make it to the cooler parts of the highlands. Wow. <laughs> and also we have the bird migration. There's the European, we call it the Paleactic migration. So we have thousands of birds migrating here. Yeah. Um, yeah, we saw intra-Africa uh, intra ones. Yeah, we saw your Eurasian rollers. We saw lots of shorebirds. Yeah. And step eagle, and they're all going to migrate up to you know Russia, mm -hmm. Scandinavia. Yeah. Um, many. Yeah. Many, most of Africa. Yes. Well, this has been a fantastic interview, and um, you know, hopefully, some of our visitors will come. Some of our listeners will become visitors yeah. to Kenya. Absolutely, we are always really waiting place. They have a place to come. They have um, people to host them. Kenyans are, you know, very friendly. We love people. We have our guests. That's why we have the song, I Jambo, Jambo Bwana, Abari Gani, Suri Sana, Wageni, Wakari Bishwa, Kenya Yetu, Akuna Matata. <laughs> I think that is how we got to end this. Thank <laughs> yeah. you so much. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to both parts, part one, and then the bonus part two of, of what Tony and Angie recorded on their honeymoon in Africa. And once again, please rate us highly on your podcast listening app of choice. Please send us your feedback at urbanwildlifecast.gmail.com. Please find us on Twitter at urbwildlifecast. Please find us on Facebook. All these are great ways to give us some feedback. Let us know what you think of the podcast and suggest some story ideas. And of course, we need to mention that 
April 26th through 29th is part one or phase one of the City Nature Challenge, where people in cities around the globe will be documenting through iNaturalist the biodiversity where we all live. Part two of it, April 30th through May 5th, will be the identification phase where we try to ID all the stuff we found. Philadelphia's taking part. A lot of cities are taking part. If you love nature and want to highlight biodiversity where you live, please check out whether your city is taking part in the City Nature Challenge. And even if your city isn't taking part officially, you can still go out there and document what you find on a naturalist. And you can help people identify what they've found in cities all around the world. Thanks for taking part. Listening 